and welcome to the Pastor Mike Drop podcast. I'm joined by distinguished panel uh, of pastors <laughs> and, and minister Emily Langpaul, my co-host. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm fresh off of a grandpa trip. A good one. Yeah. Our uh, our third grandchild was born last Friday, uh, Samuel, and I brought I brought a visual aid because last time Perfect. we had a grandchild, there he is. There's Samuel William Aww. Stover, uh-huh. born in Iowa City. So yeah, the roads were terrible, but I'm here. And I'm you glad. made it. And yeah. for those listening, he's adorable. He, th- yes. I agree. <laughs> I'm a little biased, sure. you know, as, as a grandpa <laughs> would be. But man, none yeah. of our kids had hair. I can't. I'm just stunned by the amount of hair. That's he came amazing. out with a full do. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's he's already getting it styled. Mom, grandma, everybody <laughs> keeps you know trying different hairstyles on him and. Not a lot of newborns are ready for that. No. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we're really excited. So with us today, we have pastors Ashley Lentz and Scott Rains. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Great to be here. Yeah. Yeah, from our yeah, our campus in Ankeny. Hope yeah. Ankeny. Uh, great, great uh, ministry up there. Lots of ministries out of that campus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's good to have you guys here. And good to have you here together. You yeah. Know? yeah. We don't get to do this often. This will be really fun. Super fun. Although well, tonight we get to do it for the students. Yeah. Some oh, Q&A nice. stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing that at one of our campuses tonight, too. It must be tis the Q&A season. Q&A time. That's yeah, right. For mm-hmm. questions. Because when we read the Bible, as we are, uh, as a church, we're reading through the whole Holy Bible in a year, a lot of good questions come up. And not just from other people, sometimes from us, too. Mm-hmm. But this podcast is a discussion that we have as pastors to try to help those who are doing these readings and those who are new to these readings and maybe those who want to be invited into these readings, a lot of on-ramps, to um, have some tools and have some resources and have some, hopefully some clarity mm-hmm. uh, along the way so that they can get more out of the living Word of God. And, and so, you know, our, our secondary theme is we want to read it, learn it, and live it. I was driving in the car with Saffron. I shared this story. And uh, we turned on the audio of mm, the mm-hmm. uh, U version to listen to our Bible readings for De- from Deuteronomy, and Saffron was in the back seat saying, "What?" God <laughs> said, "What?" And I, I just I encourage our congregation. You, as we're doing this yeah. this year, we should have many times when we find ourselves saying "What," and we need to dig uh-huh. into it and figure out how we're supposed to make sense. Of yeah, this? and the great thing is, there's great answers for all these great yeah. questions that people are asking. So a lot of the questions we ask here are the questions that bubble up that I hear in conversations from people that people email me, text me, uh, and then those that come in ahead of time. And so we've got all those. Yep. We got a bunch. So let's get right into it. We got some questions. We sure do. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Okay. Oh, first yeah, one no, looks to our Old Testament reading. Who is Joshua, and what do you want our Bible readers to know about this book of the Bible? So Joshua was the young new leader for God's people, uh, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, who are now on the brink of the promised land. He's going to lead them in the first few chapters of Joshua, and we're reading about that this week as a church. He's going to lead them across, kind of like Moses led God's people across a body of water, the Mm -hmm. Red Sea, to get out of Egypt on on their journey through the wilderness. Joshua is going to lead them across the Jordan River into the promised land with the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing the presence of God. All that is kind of a, a recap, too, of what we've been reading in the first five books of the Bible, the, the movement of the Exodus, the story uh, from the beginning all the way through. But now things get a little bit different in this sense, is in Joshua, after we get through those opening chapters, we start to realize there's a lot of violence. There's, there's a lot of war, and people will ask, even go so far as to say, is God committing genocide here? Is this, I mean, it just seems so violent. And where's this God of peace? Where, where's the one who says, well, 
the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be the Prince of Peace. Where's the, you know, swords into plowshares? Where's, where's Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers? How does this, how does this fit together? So I think this is an excellent question. And I think if we're going to be honest, this really, we all struggle with this. So we'll take a little bit longer on this one. I'm going to mm-hmm. do a, an overview and then we can dive into it a little bit more. There, there are three things here. One is God's going against the Canaanites, and this shouldn't surprise us because we've been paying really careful attention all the way back to Genesis and Abraham. The Canaanites are really evil. <laughs> I mean, they're like Darth Vader level evil, uh, the worst bad guy or gal in any movie, just super villain. And let me get more specific and just saying, oh, well, that's convenient. They're just really bad people, and God chooses Israel instead of them. Here's what I mean by evil. Child sacrifices mm. is kind of normative for them. This isn't just biblically. This is historically. There's extra biblical um, references to this. The Canaanites lived in deep darkness. Uh, they were uh, doing some really kind of bizarre things, uh, mutilating their bodies during worship. Um, there was moral corruption, especially sexual, all sorts of things happening. And God warned them. God warned that he, he gave... He gives us time. He gives us space. He's like, let, let, let me call you back. Let me invite you to come back. He, he tried over and over and over again. Just like people say, well, it got so violent with Egypt back in the Exodus. But God gave him 10 plagues, trying to get their attention, turn around, repent. And in a sense, God's doing the same thing with Israel. He's saying, look, if you don't stay faithful to me, if you don't repent, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament's conditional. It depends on God saying, I'll be your God, and he keeps his part of the covenant. God does. But Israel, it just depends on the moment they're in. Sometimes they're faithful, sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. And so number one, the Canaanites are not just sort of a neutral uh, uh, in, in terms of their morality. They're a mess. They're as dark and as evil and as disturbing as any story could ever get. They're the villain at the end of the movie where the whole theater erupts and prays when that <laughs> villain is finally conquered. And so God has warned them, told them to turn around, told them to repent. Finally, after many generations, he says, okay, you're done. I, I, I can't let you occupy my earth anymore. You, you can't bring that kind of evil. Sacrificing your children to false gods mm. uh, and, and killing them. For, I'm just not going to let you do that anymore. God cares about those details. Secondly, so that's why he goes against the Canaanites, God does. Secondly, it's not genocide. It's hyperbole. That's the, that's the genre of literature that's being used here. And the reason we know that is because we read on in Joshua. So in the beginning of Joshua, we read about these battles and God is destroying these nations. And it says some really strong hyperbolic types of things like destroy everybody. Uh, don't leave anybody alive. Don't marry anybody there. Don't, don't do business with anybody there. But then you read a few chapters later, they're there. So it says God wiped them all out, but that's hyperbole because they're still there. Mm-hmm. The Canaanites still are, are there. He's just wiped out their power bases so that mm-hmm. his people can move through into this promised land. Uh, then the third thing is, is this is a unique moment in history, and it really gets back to the consistency of God. Nowhere in this text, even in Joshua, does God tell Israel to go and wipe somebody out. God is, it's really not a battle. I heard a, a commentator say this. It's not a battle really between Israel and the Canaanites. It's between God and evil. Mm-hmm. And God is wiping out that evil. Mm-hmm. And Israel's just a bystander. Yeah. They're, they're just watching a- along the way. And it's not really Israel that's defeating the darkness of evil. It's God who's paving that way for us, which is really a precursor for the whole New Testament story too. So those three things, God is not committing genocide. God's bringing justice against human evil. And we need God to do that. Mm-hmm. We really do. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that was the short version. <laughs> well, it's good. But I think it's important because it's such a big question. Yeah. And we're going to read about more battles along the way, too. Yeah. God is a God of peace. Very consistently so. Yeah. But God ultimately will not tolerate evil. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to have a knee-jerk reaction. He gives He gives people time. He gives, he gives Israel 40 years to repent. As yeah. you were teaching through that, the Old Testament professor we had in seminary was fond of saying if God had a bumper sticker, it would be Exodus 34, uh, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to get anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And so part of what we see is this generation after generation after generation after generation of evil, and God's slow to get anger, finally gets to a tipping point. And there are some Canaanites who do repent. Rahab being one at the beginning of the story. And she's a prostitute. She's deep into the whole Canaanite thing, Mm -hmm. the darkness and the evil, uh, sexual sin in her case, among probably a whole bunch of other things. But she hears about God and her heart turns. That's Mm -hmm. what God wants. God's a God of mercy. Like in that verse you just read, Scott, God's a God of mercy. And if the Canaanites turn to God, he'll have mercy on them. He'll have peace on them. But you know, generation after generation, at a certain point, God says, can't have this. Yep. Yeah. God protects the foreigners in Leviticus. He has rules to invite yes. foreigners along and, and wants them included uh, it, under his conditions. And so mm-hmm. I think when we hear people describing, I just had an email about this in my inbox this morning. Um, why is God so mean in Joshua? Mm-hmm. Why all this destruction? We forget that he's actually protecting foreigners too. There's a lot of love for these people and they're invited along. That's mm-hmm. such a good point. There's there's even commands where God says, you can't harm any of these other yes. nations. So the only time he goes after them is when there's consistent generational evil and darkness. Child sacrifice, for instance. Yeah, yeah. that, that yeah. would be up there. Yeah. yeah. We had a question come in that said, regarding Moses' death, God's saying he would allow him to see land but not enter because of sin. Moses seemed faithful. What are we missing in that? Moses is faithful, yeah. uh, and he's not perfect. And and, yeah. and one of the themes that seems to be emerging out of those first five books of the Bible, and we're going to see it again in, in Joshua, is God's desire for obedience, mm-hmm. uh, holiness. There, there is a way that I want to show you that's different from the way a lot of other people go. Mm-hmm. And, and Moses, as the leader, has, you know... Uh, a higher standard that God's sure. holding him to than sure. other people. So um, that that's how I interpret God saying to Moses. And if you look at uh, the specifics of what Moses did, <laughs> he hit a rock angrily, uh, but God didn't tell him to hit it. God yeah. told him just to stand by it and speak. And so there's something about what Moses did. God uses the language of holiness. You, you did not represent my holiness well mm. in that moment. Mm. Well said. Yeah. Okay, moving back to our other readings. How can we make sense of the rather wild story of Jesus's transfiguration in Luke 9? Yeah. Um, As I was reading this, you know, we got to take it in the stories around it too. And Mm -hmm. Jesus's transformation speaks to who he is. Right before this transfiguration, um, Herod's confused. He, he doesn't know, is Jesus just a prophet? What is what is he doing? Um, and Jesus asks Peter, who do people say that I am? Some mm-hmm. say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say you're an ancient prophet. And Peter says you're the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And then the transfiguration happens. Mm-hmm. And I just, every time I read the transfiguration, you think, what would it have been like to be there? Mm-hmm. And would this have cleared up who Jesus was for you? 
I think so. <laughs> I think <laughs> pretty so. Wild. It's no, pretty clear. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that Jesus is is who he says he is and mm. is coming with a whole bunch of power. It's mm. almost like he's saying, in case you missed it, you know, right. when, when Peter said, I'm the Messiah, and I said, yeah, mm-hmm. it, let, let me just make it even more clear for at least Peter, James, and John, and then they can go tell everybody yes, else. But when yes. Moses and Elijah show up and Peter just punts, I, I love that part of the story because <laughs> I, I feel it. I feel Peter's... Uh, disillusionment, like bewilderment, overwhelmed, yeah. like Peter gets from right. time to time. Get out of my boat, he says before, because the miracle's too big. Here is like, oh my goodness! Whoa. Somehow Peter knew that's Elijah, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's Moses. And you just talked about yep. Moses, you know, and that's been a central part of the whole Old Testament story. Elijah's going to come along. We'll read about him in a few weeks or months. Great prophet, miracle worker. So he represents the prophets. Moses represents the law. Mm-hmm. So everything that is God's people is there on the mountain. And it's a mountain, it's a mountain. top, which is go. where a lot of these big things happen. You know, the Ten Commandments come through the mountaintop. God meets his people at Mount Sinai. Mountaintops are worth noting as, yes. as we read along. So Jesus, a little time out. Hey, let's go to a mountaintop so that, Ashley, as you say, you can be sure that you're sure mm-hmm. who Jesus really is. Yeah. And, and the importance of obedience shows up here again, too. It, uh, a faithful, obedient um, person from the nation of Israel would follow the law and the prophets. This, that the, they didn't call it the Bible. They called it the law and the prophets, but that was their scriptures, That's was right, the law right. and the prophets. That's good. Represented by who? Uh, you, so you follow Torah, you follow the law. That's Moses. Yeah. Uh, and then the prophets point to the Messiah that we're going to follow at some point. That's Elijah. Here, here, the law and the prophets show up. And look what, look what Jesus says, uh, or what God's the, two times in Luke that the voice from heaven comes. One is in Jesus' baptism, and one is here at the transfiguration. Mm. Both times... Uh, it's in the context of prayer. Jesus is praying in his baptism when he hears the voice of his heavenly Father. He's praying mm. in the, at, on the Mount of Transfiguration, mm. and the voice of his heavenly Father says, uh, "Listen to him. Yeah. This is my son. Listen to him." The what? What did you mm. listen to before Jesus? The Shema, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God," and, and that's the setup for all the law and the prophets. So this, there's a major. Uh, transition happening through the transfiguration. It's not about following the written law. It's about following the one who is the Torah personified. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is a fulfillment of the prophecy in the Old Testament. I'm going to write it on your hearts now. There's Mm -hmm. going to be a new covenant. There's going to be a new testament. So again, this shows us as as Jesus people, as followers of Christ, how important the Old Testament is for us. It just really adds depth to our understanding of just how Jesus fulfills all of this. And so this Jesus we worship isn't just sort of some sort of random, uh, you know, Messiah type figure who comes in and does some great things. There's massive amounts of history and he, he, his story is woven into all of it and he fulfills all of it. One other thing I think it's worth noting in the transfiguration story is it's holy. It's mm-hmm. it's mysterious. It's a little more than our heads can wrap right. around. Al- yeah. Almost yeah. like the wonder and the mystery of the baptism. The heavens open and, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden but when Jesus is going to be crucified, the curtain and the temples opened and and you know, voices like you said in the mm-hmm. baptism and here in the transfiguration, his robe turns dazzling white. What's that all about? You know, it's kind of like music. It's like poetry. You may not it this mm-hmm. may not be the place for us to dissect the frog, you know, in, in, in 10th grade biology. This might be the place for us to go out and just breathe in the beauty of the moment, mm-hmm. the glory of it, yeah. if you will, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the heaven kind of touching earth. Mm-hmm. 
Which reminds us, I mean, several stories along the way, Jesus is so down to earth, right? He's just so down to earth, human, and, and we can relate to God in a very real way. But mm-hmm. once in a while, I think it's good to remember God's way bigger than that. Yeah. Jesus is way yeah. bigger than that. Yeah. And then there's this verse in Luke nine fifty one, just a few uh, verses or paragraphs, depending on how you break it down right after the transfiguration. It says, at the time, or as the time, Jesus, as the time drew near for Jesus to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And that's a pretty mm-hmm. good translation. I'm reading out of NLT. But the original Greek, and I still remember this from seminary, a professor said, the original Greek actually says he set his face to Jerusalem mm-hmm. and would not be denied. Mm-hmm. I love that. He's like, okay, glorified moment, transfiguration, but I'm not staying on the mountaintop. I'm coming down to earth for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm setting my face and nothing will distract me from going to the cross now. I mm-hmm. am on a mission from my father in heaven. Mm-hmm. What good news for us. I mean, it gives me goosebumps just to be able to share that good news with all of our listeners. Yeah. The two times Jesus hears the voice of his heavenly father, the first one at the baptism right before he begins his ministry. That's a pretty important time to hear you are... Who, mm, who you're, I you're my dearly, dearly loved, loved son. You, yeah. I've got this is what you're here for. Yes. The second time, it's sandwiched between the first time he predicts his death, the second time he predicts his death. Nice. And so, another, if I'm going to resolutely set my face for Jerusalem, I better be confident in, in who God says mm-hmm. I am. And, yep. yeah. Exactly. And we need him to do this. Yeah. Yes. We need Jesus to be down to earth, but we also need him to be God. We need him to be a savior who can save us in a way that a, a human hero can't. He's he's more than just somebody I look up to or somebody who gives me tips, you know, for how to live a better life. He's he's God, savior. Mm, and good. and he knows what he's doing here, so come follow him. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Next question is what can we learn about our role as followers of Jesus from the story of 72 disciples in Luke 10? I'll start it's just a really short answer. Jesus is on the move, he expects us to be on the move. Yeah. You know, the great commission back when we read Matthew, the first word is go. Ministry, by definition, is something that that we have to do if we're going to be faithful. It isn't just something we passively sit back and ponder. So these things are good. It's good for us to think about this and study this. Hmm. But I think it's um, if all we do is think about it and study it, if all we do is read it and learn it but don't live it, Hmm. um, there's that connection. And there's going to be more on that, too, as we go through this this Hmm. episode. But what else do you see there? I'm always fascinated by uh, Jesus' instruction to, you know, if nothing's really happening, shake the dust from your sandals uh-huh. and, and yeah. move uh-huh. on. And uh, th- that's a helpful reminder. And I think it's amazingly challenging. I I, th- I talk to people all the time who are in different kinds of ministry settings than what I'm in, and they're they're struggling. They're uh, is anything working? Yeah. Any even like uh, I talk to my staff in children's ministry and and in student ministry. It's sometimes difficult to see fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a long time. So we've got to be careful about when it's time to shake the dust off our sandals. But sure. Jesus is clear there is a time. Yeah. Yeah. And keep going until there are ears that are hearing. Yeah. yeah. As, as I read this this morning, I thought ministry is not supposed to be lonely. He sends them out in pairs. I caught that too. Yes. That's important. He sends them out in pairs and he, and he hospitality is also important. And yeah. so in the towns where they're yeah. not welcomed, they shake the dust off. And so that's kind of a theme throughout Luke is this hospitality theme, taking care of people, yeah. uh, welcoming them. And as I think about ministry, man, there's a lot of times we think we can do it on our own. Like it's up to me to mm-hmm. go and do this. And I think Jesus is reminding us, number one, it's not you. Mm-hmm. It's me. But also you don't do this alone. Like this is supposed to be a community thing. 
Mm-hmm. Community is built into this whole entire gospel yes. movement that yep. Jesus starts. He, he's Jesus. We just talked about it. he's God in the flesh. Right. He's, he's mountaintop. Moses and Elijah bow down and worship him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, this is the guy, they say. He's, he's Jesus. But he still has a group. He still yeah. has community. He's still and and within that community, as Peter, James, and John, who seem like a tighter group, even he's got he's got people he's doing life together with. If Jesus needs it, who do we think we are? He sends right. them out two by two, as you just said, Pastor yep. Ashley. It's so key to this whole story. And Pastor Scott, I love it. There's a ministry's hard, mm-hmm. and so there's times where we have to say, okay, I'm not in charge of making you believe this. I'm not. I can't. We, I'm fond of saying Lutheran Church of Hope has never converted anybody. No church mm-hmm. has. Mm-hmm. No preacher has. No teacher has. The Holy Spirit does. Yeah. So we've got a role. We're, we're activated. That's what we can learn from these stories. And there's times when we won't be well-received. There's times when people aren't ready to hear about mm-hmm. Jesus, don't want to hear because they've, right. they've got you know, some other motive involved. So dust our feet. Then there's this though. So there's this hopeful kind of ending to this whole movement of of Luke chapter 10. And that's that when it's all said and done, the the disciples come back and they're so thrilled, you know, and Jesus says, yeah, I saw heaven and earth, you know, move. And I saw Satan fall like, like lightning from heaven. And, and, and this whole thing, like, yes, that's great. But then look what Jesus says, but don't rejoice at this. Mm -hmm. You think that's good. You're going to see better things than these, like he said to the, some of the disciples when he calls them early. He said, it's almost as if he's saying, you don't have to read too far between the lines to catch this. Don't rejoice at this, but rejoice what? That your names are written in heaven. Mm. So good, you had a good day. <laughs> but know that you're going to have a good eternity. Yeah. You know, know yeah. that these good days someday will never end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So keep your eye on what it is we're pointing people to, which isn't just new life now. I'm fond of saying that. I'm a big fan of not just saying, well, it's all about heaven. It isn't, but it certainly is about heaven. It, right. it, it's got to be about both of we've lost our balance theologically as Christians. And then Jesus says at the end of this, this whole movement, blessed are the eyes that see what you've seen. Verse 23 of Luke 10, I tell you many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. That's ministry too. Mm-hmm. It's hard and there's times we have to dust our feet. It's so hard we need community, mm-hmm. um, but it's also... I mean, it's mountaintops too. There's there's a lot of joy to see God change lives. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next. Take us on a deeper dive into the parable of the Good Samaritan. Why does Jesus tell the story and what's it really about? Do you want to start with that one, Pastor Ashley? Sure. Um, golly. Uh, interesting. This is only in Luke. We find the parable of the Good Samaritan and then right after it is Mary and Martha and they're only in Luke too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's in-groups and out-groups in Jesus' day. There's in-groups and out-groups in our day, isn't yes. there? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is breaking down those barriers. Yeah. So overarching message, um, Jesus' love breaks down all barriers. And there is no one in the out-group <laughs> in mm-hmm. Jesus' world. We're all in the in-group, and he wants us to love everybody as if they are in our in-group. Yeah. The language I hear a lot these days is othering. Let, oh, let's yeah. not be othering people. And Jesus actually, used, I think they must have mm-hmm. stolen that language from this story because uh, the first two people come by after someone's get beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, and they cross to the other side mm-hmm. of the sure. road to, to pass by. Sure. And, and so they're literally othering this person. I, I, I should have looked up all the details around who the Samaritans actually are. But there, there's a fascinating history around that, which yep. uh, m- makes sense why the, p- the people of Israel in that day didn't really 
like Samaritans. Mm. There's a, I didn't catch this until this time. This is another one of those humbling kind of moments. So how many times have we all read Luke's gospel as pastors? And Emily, you know, you hear us teach and preach it all the time Mm -hmm. and you've studied it and Mm -hmm. read it. Uh, I missed this until now. So the parable of the Good Samaritans in Luke 10, and we know a big part of that story is the prejudice that that mm-hmm. people uh, like Jesus' disciples and the Pharisees too would have against Samaritans. There's there's a lot of prejudgment about one another, both directions, and Jesus wants none of that, none of that, because there's no room for prejudice in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So that's the obvious point. But the point that I think probably maybe I'm the only one who's missed it. But in Luke chapter nine, starting around verse fifty one. Jesus is going to go to Samaria and he's going to, he sends even some messengers ahead to kind of get things ready. Mm-hmm. And they come back and they basically say, yeah, they don't really want you to stop by. Yeah. So Jesus, one chapter later, is going to tell a story where a Samaritan's the hero mm. after those same Samaritans just rejected him. Yeah. I mean, not, not a prejudgment. They judged him. They, they just said, no, you're out. You don't get to come to our land because you're Jewish. Jesus. That's why you don't get... That was underneath it. So for Jesus to kind of set the example for us of turning another cheek, you know, you you get hit on one side, you turn the other cheek. What does it mean? So why doesn't Jesus uh, wipe the dust from his sandals and leave Samaria? Like he... Mm -hmm. He he is... I I think sometimes he says things uh, to, to make us go, oh, yeah, that's what I should do. And then on second thought, you're like, wait a second. He He's kind of testing me to see if I've been paying attention all along. And he's actually modeling a new way for us to go. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I'm guessing when they hear this story, eyes wide, they're going, yeah. what? Help. This, not to go straight back to Joshua again, but mm-hmm. this is the consistency of God, who's now in the person of Jesus Christ. So the Samaritans reject me, I'm going to make them a hero of the story in the next chapter. Uh, and and while I want my followers to dust their feet, I also want, I, I'm not going to give you any room to justify your prejudice. Uh, mm. you, dusting your feet doesn't mean you hate those people. Right. Dusting your feet just means I'm not producing any fruit here for the kingdom, so I need to move on. But it doesn't mean I get an excuse to, to, to be against those people, mm. to hate those folks. God gave Egypt time to turn around. God gave the Canaanites time to turn around. God's through Jesus Christ is giving the Samaritans time and, and mm-hmm. the Jews who are following him, the mm-hmm. Pharisees who are legalistic and yeah. caught in those traps. And God gives us that same mercy and that grace and that patience. You know, there's yeah. all those Psalms that say God is patient, slow to anger, mm-hmm. abounding in steadfast love. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. Yes. The, the Rahab story, uh, the scarlet thread, yeah. uh, she, uh, she lowers them down in a basket in a scarlet thread. And I think it shows up again in the new Testament, but, but part of what we're seeing is, uh, yeah, the Canaanites are bad, but there's some that we want to save if they're interested in it. Yeah, maybe a lot of the Samaritans don't want Jesus there, but maybe there's one who does. Mm. Yeah. As an ad- addition, I love all the moments where the disciples just don't get it. And so the same <laughs> village, then two disciples say, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven right. to burn them up? And then he says, no. And it says, then they just went to a new village. <laughs> and it's like... You're still not getting it. So yep. then he's going to tell this story. Yeah. It's it's all mm-hmm. like here. And and in the part before, too, about you know Jesus sending us out, it's like Luke is going to hit on all the things that we would trip over. Mm-hmm. Our pride. Who's going to sit in power when sure, we come yes. into your kingdom? Mm-hmm. Hey, we don't like the way that church does worship. 
can we hate them? Mm. You know, can, can we be against them? Can we see them as being on a different team than us? No. Now, if they're not against us, they're for us. Yeah. Uh, and they may not do it the way you do it, and you may not do it the way they do it, and that makes the whole Christian tree stronger because mm. they're different branches connected to the same vine. So we need to learn Christians to celebrate the ministries that maybe aren't, you know, pure and Lutheran and perfect. That was a joke. <laughs> that was a total joke. Uh, but have respect for the fact, you know, and it's so easy for Christians to talk trash about each other. Mm-hmm. We're so good at that. My goodness, we're good at that. Yeah. And I think the devil wins every time we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And love this next one about prayer. How can we improve our prayer lives based on Jesus's teaching at the beginning of Luke 11? Scott? Yeah. I, so Luke has something important to, to say about prayer, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I, I always, Jesus is our model. He teaches us how to do it. Uh, and, and there's a persistency that shows yes. up mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. where just just keep asking, just keep, and you know, God's not offended by uh, our annoying persistence. Yeah. Um, but there's part of it for me is when Jesus in the baptism is in prayer, uh, I, I read a book by Anne Rice uh, called The Road to Canaan. And Anne Rice is the author of The Vampire Diaries, yep. but then had Became a conversion a experience yep. and N.T. Wright kind of mentored her in her faith. Mm-hmm. And as she she writes this historical fiction book, she tells the baptism story and it's just like peaceful and quiet and the chapter ends and you turn the page and she just says noise, 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 noise. And now he's in the wilderness being tempted. And so I, I find myself, Jesus often is going away to a quiet place to pray where he can connect with the voice of his heavenly father that tells him this is who you are and who you are is good. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if in prayer that's what I need to hear. Mm-hmm. I, I created you with a unique pur- purpose and and it's a good purpose and just be that, be the Scott that I created you to be. Mm-hmm. And and I, I see Jesus modeling that for us. Yeah. Yeah, I shameless persistence is how the NLT translates that, and I just love it. I once heard someone say, um, you know, in your prayers, if you ask God for something and you don't get it, do you continue to ask Him or do you give up? Yeah. And I, when people talk to me about hard things and, and we pray about them, and I follow up, are you praying about it? I'm praying for you. You know, like, are you surrounded in prayer? At what point do people say, well, I've prayed enough? Like, I, God heard it. God he knows. He knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I, when I read this again, I just, I'm reminded, like, if something is that important to us, man, I should be talking to God about it all the time. Yeah. Don't give up. Yeah. Shameless persistence. Um, you know, keep on seeking and you will find, keep on knocking and the door will be opened. I just, it's a reminder how personal our God is. That really struck me too, is, is I was reading about prayer here yeah. in this part of Luke 11. Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. But it's the persistence that you guys both just talked about uh, that I think really stands out here. It's, so it is the Lord's Prayer, but even coming out of that, he says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And it makes me wonder why. Why, why does God, what, what's, you know, God wants what's best for us. We can see that in the totality mm-hmm. of Scripture and the consistency of God. So why is it that God wants me, wants you, wants our readers, our listeners to be persistent in prayer? What, what's in it for us? Why doesn't God just answer the first time? Mm -hmm. There's something about persistence that adds to a consistency to prayer. So we're going to end up talking to God more. We're going to end up uh, leaning harder and harder. And as hard as this is to deal with, 
you know, it, it gets to what scripture will tell us deeper into the New Testament, that our suffering produces endurance mm-hmm. and our endurance produces character and our character produces hope and our hope doesn't disappoint right. us. And it's hard to get to that hope if we just get what we want sure. every single time the mm-hmm. first time. So character, persistence, hard as it is, I even saying that I'm like, I still wish God would answer the first yeah. time. I mean, I'm human. I'll, I'll be honest about that. But God wants something more mm-hmm. that, uh, from me, he wants a deeper faith. It, and it's also, no matter how deep we get, no matter how much we grow, if our whole church makes it to December and like 90% of our church has read the Bible from cover to cover, mm-hmm. it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a game changer. I have no doubt about it. It's going to produce fruit for generations in mm-hmm. this community and around the world. I, nothing more powerful could happen mm-hmm. in terms of transformation here and, and bringing revival and helping us fulfill our vision. But that said, no matter how much we learn and know, still are seekers. Yeah. I get mm-hmm. so I get so frustrated when I hear people say, well, when I used to be a seeker. Mm. This is pretty clear. Jesus <laughs> saying you better continue to be a seeker. E- even if you think you've learned high levels mm-hmm. of stuff, the deepest theology, doctrine, scripture, hermeneutic, hermeneutical interpretations of all these things, right? All the mm-hmm. all this stuff we fill our heads with at seminary, you better still be a seeker. Mm-hmm. And I think that's baked into his teaching here on prayer. One more quick thing. Jesus doesn't say if you pray. When he uh, say, they when. they say teach us how to pray, yeah. the disciples to Jesus yeah. says, "When you pray, meaning you will pray. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you follow me, you will pray. You have to pray." He's not making it a polite option. Like, hey, here's something you might want to do if you like this kind mm-hmm. of food. Yeah. No, when you pray, mm-hmm. this will help. Start with the Lord's prayer. Go from there. Be persistent. Yeah, yeah that's good. One, can I say one more thing about this? When when I look at the pictures of Moses leading the people across the Red Sea, or Joshua leading the people across the Jordan River, there we see the mysterious. What what part of it is God and what part of it is me? And when it comes to prayer, I have a tendency to yeah. want it mm. to become this magic formula, uh, almost like Aladdin in the lamp, you know. And and God wants faith. And so what we see in those two water mm. crossings. It's not until I would have prayed, God, stop the water. And once you stop the water, God, then I'll know I can go across. And God says, nope, not until your foot is in the water am Mm. I going to start. And so so I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, and more often than I'm going to have to move before I get the answer to my prayer. Mm. And in the moving, somehow God gives me the answer. Luther said, and I'll just paraphrase, but famously wrote once, he said, when you pray, understand and believe and trust that God has heard your prayer and answered it before you say amen. Mm-hmm. It's already done. So you take that step. You walk into the mm-hmm. Red Sea even yes. before it's st- because you trust that God heard your prayer. It's mm-hmm. going to happen. Trust. Yeah. Well, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's faith the, building. And that's, now we're going deep. Yeah. It's the relational word that keeps coming to mind is when we learn about prayer, God wants us to trust him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Why do you think Jesus keeps teaching people to hear the word of God and put it into practice? This is kind of all throughout Luke. I'll start on this one. That This is really starting to pop up a lot. Even in the, the four chapters we read, 8, 9, 10, and 11 this mm-hmm. week, or our reading if you haven't gotten there yet, pay attention to this. It comes up at the end of the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. You're the wise builder if you hear the word of God and live it out. If you apply it to your life, read it, learn it, live it. And Jesus is going to continue to repeat this over and over and over again. Um, Verse 28 of Luke 11, Jesus replied, even more blessed are all who hear the word of God 
and put it into practice because people are saying, well, God bless your mother and God bless the womb that, that you gave mm-hmm. birth to you and all these kinds of things, which is true. Jesus isn't saying wrong. He's saying right. But even better, he's good at that, right? He's like, so this is good. You, you know this law. You know this rule. You know this blessing. Same thing he did with his disciples chapter before. You saw uh, people come to faith because you were preaching the good news of the kingdom coming. Great. But don't rejoice at that. I, I got something even better for you. Here, you know, you, you say, God bless my mother. Yes, <laughs> I'm for my mom. I'm, he's pro-Mary, right? But even better, it is for you, for this world around you, um, for the community we talked about earlier that God wants to build us into, uh, that that is what we're called to be and to do. Even better if you hear the word and apply it and live it out. As I'm fond of saying, even the devil knows scripture, Mm -hmm. but he's not living his best life, as Mm -hmm. they say. Um, God wants us to do that, to live our best lives. Our son Kemble's a senior uh, at Ankeny Centennial, and he's in show choir, and it's been just a great thing for him to be a part of. And so they had their senior show last weekend, and part of what they do at the senior show is they show the video of their eighth grade show, and and to see the way they've grown uh, and how much better they are at <laughs> singing and dancing and being together in a, as a community. I, I think there's parallels to what does it mean to be people of faith. Like, mm. I, I sure hope my sermons are a little better today than they were 10 years ago. <laughs> I was uh, thinking somebody yeah. gave me a sermon that was in my internship church in Minneapolis, and they said, hey, I've got an old oh. cassette tape of your wow. sermon on internship. And I listened to it. I was like... Mm. Wow, I missed some notes, you know, and, and still do. Not, but right. the, but there's, you know, yeah. God's training us, and 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 we're being disciplined, and we're growing, and we're. What is it they say? You know, you become an expert at something when you hit a certain number of hours oh, of doing it over hours. and over, yes. and over yes. the ten thousand hour mm-hmm. rule. Mm-hmm. Um, how many hours do we spend in Scripture and the yeah. Word of God? How many hours do we spend praying? How many hours do we? I heard somebody say in our church, maybe it was online, posted something said. God, teach me to pray as, uh, about the things that I'm concerned about as much as I worry about them mm. uh, and balance out the time given to those things. Discipline, yeah. it grows us. So the show choir sounds a lot better senior year Absolutely. than they did eighth grade, although eighth grade is pretty fun. It, well, yeah. last year, Kylie was in it, and that eighth grade song, I ball every time I hear it. Yeah. So like, yeah. Just keep doing it. Those are, those are your flesh and blood up there. Yeah. Okay, what is the sign of Jonah, and what does it have to do with Jesus? We're going to hear about this in... Luke 11, verse 29. The sign of Jonah simply is that Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and then uh, was resurrected, regurgitated. Uh, Similarly, Jesus will die, be buried for three days, and then be resurrected. I think it's interesting that um, Jonah, the reason he ends up in the belly of the fish is because he's running away. He doesn't want to go and uh, proclaim good news to a people group he is not fond of. Mm -hmm. So you see the same... Uh, story of the Good Samaritan playing out in the Jonah story mm-hmm. in, a, in a different kind of way. Yeah. And then and he flees to Joppa, the seaport of Joppa, so that he can run away and not go to Nineveh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter meets Cornelius in the New Testament, or uh, in the book of Acts written by Luke. And Cornelius is a Gentile who is now interested in Jesus, and they meet in Joppa, the same place in that... Well, sorry, Peter goes from Joppa up to Caesarea, and Cornelius ends up becoming one of the first Gentile converts. And so we, we see this story is not just for a small select group of people, but it's for everyone. Hmm. 
Great. That's good. There's a, one thing to add that <laughs> there's a verse here, verse 29, that starts this whole sign of Jonah story. Yeah. Jesus says pretty blatantly, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. In addition to what you just said and articulated so well, Pastor Scott, Jesus doesn't seem real fond of the whole show me a sign thing. Mm. <laughs> just yes, right. point that out. That yeah. seems pretty consistent. He does, he's like, oh, a sign? No problem. I'll give you one. That doesn't mean I don't like seeing signs from God or mm-hmm. that it's wrong to be excited when you do see a sign from God because mm-hmm. people do get excited about that. Yeah. They post things and, and yeah. talk about things or share things. And it's let's rejoice in that. That's great. But I think Jesus is saying, look, if you follow me day to day and you don't see who I am right. and you can't trust me and you need something mountaintop-like instead of just seeing me in the valleys and in the day-to-day ordinary, you're kind of missing the whole point mm-hmm. because I'm not here just to give you goosebumps on mountaintops. I'm not here just mm-hmm. for those those wonderful you know experiences where you just feel so on fire for you know filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, we don't have to be a, for one and against the other. Right. We need to be for both. Mm -hmm. We should be for those moments and those things. But I hope uh, those who are listening don't give in to the temptation to make Christianity all about, I need my next mountaintop. Right. I need my next Mm -hmm. thing. Because God's just as present with you in the valleys as Mm -hmm. he is the mountaintop. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's really good. Okay. Is there something wrong with following religious rules like the Pharisees? Is Jesus being unfair to them? I I love this question. you know, I have six kids, and so we've, over the years, done a lot of reading on how do you actually parent these little critters? Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> w- one of the things that we've learned maybe a little too late in the game, but it, but it's been super helpful for us, is like, you know what, what kids actually need is structure. Mm-hmm. Yes. We, we had to do a lot of uh, um, personality work in seminary, and my personality type prefers to be spontaneous rather than structured. But, really? Yeah. <laughs> what a shocker having oh, having served bad. alongside of you all these years. So which is which is awesome. Right. Yeah, it's it's we need all we know all yep. types. Yeah. Right. But particularly the younger we are, we all need structure and then part of the maturing process and I think the scripture writers give us ample uh, pictures that that we're really talking about maturing in, in our faith from infancy to adulthood. There comes a time, a season in all of our lives where the the original structure we had now we do some uh, somebody uh, wise said it's like order disorder reorder it's what we see god doing as we read through mm. uh, the creation story but it's mm. also what god does in each of us so there's a point in our lives teenage years maybe where the disordering starts to happen mm-hmm. but it's moving us to a place of of reordering so um i th- and reorder is better than the original order. Absolutely. If you've gone through right. disorder to get there, it kind of gets back to that suffering leads to hope. The the biblical language around this, I think, is kind of interesting. So uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We wow. read mm. a lot in the Old Testament. And, and the stories that we read as so violent and why is God doing that? And there, there's a fear component there, an awe, a God is something that I don't fully understand. But by the end, uh, Pastor Richard taught us this in a, uh, we were doing lunch and learns as a staff. He mm-hmm. was reading, teaching us through a book called Lead Like Jesus. And he said, you know, there's a difference between compliance and obedience. And I was like, no, I don't know that. <laughs> and um, Jesus says, if you love me, not if you fear me, if you love me, obey mm-hmm. my commands. Mm-hmm. And then his disciple John says, there's 
there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. So this maturing process, rules are necessary, but as we mature, the rules will become different. Yeah. Jesus isn't anti-rule. He's, in mm-hmm. fact, he'll say, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. But at the same time, Jesus is saying, you can start to worship your rules. Mm-hmm. You know, for those who are new to this podcast today, I would say, rather than get into another long conversation about it, go back to the last two or three podcasts where we talk about legalism, define it, yeah. talk about why it's dangerous for the Christian life. And, and at the heart of that is... It's all about the rules. It's all about knowing the rules, following the rules, and fixing everybody who isn't following the rules. Christianity is so much deeper than that. And and actually, the definition of sin is missing the target like an archer, Mm -hmm. you know, aiming Mm -hmm. for the bullseye and misses the target. And when we say Christianity at its core is all about making rules, following rules, and fixing people who don't follow the rules, we have sin because we've missed the target. And we're teaching something that isn't in alignment with the thrust of Scripture, so Jesus being unfair by taking on the Pharisees, the reason I pose the question that way is we're getting a lot of questions about this kind of thing, mm-hmm. but that seems to be sort of the unspoken part of the question underneath is I want Jesus to fit into my comfortable box mm. of, of, of agreeing with all my rules that yeah. I really like the most, you know, that are my favorite rules. Jesus comes along and says, yeah, I, I want to point you to something more and namely grace. I want to point mm-hmm. you to... to right. the, Because rules aren't going to save you. Rules aren't going to give you new life. Rules aren't going to give you eternal life. Rules rules aren't going to make you love other people more. Then it's more compliance, right? Mm -hmm. But you will start to want to obey because you trust if you start with God's grace. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to be set free to do... Um, to give your heart to God in a way that the rules just flow naturally. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to want to love people now more than I would have when I had I started with my order, conveniently mine. <laughs> then I got what disordered you said, and <laughs> then reordered. That's why reordered is better than the original order yeah. mm-hmm. because I've gone through and I've learned to love, which is at the heart of Christianity. Yeah. So Jesus is in conflict with these religious leaders in John 5, he says, your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love in you. If if the following Bingo. of the rules leads us to a point where people don't see mm-hmm. God's love in us, we've missed the right. point. Mm-hmm. So is there something wrong with following rules then? Is no. It- rules are good. Rules are good. Paxton is just, he walks, he He's jumping over things. How old is Paxton? He's 14 months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he is learning to jump off of things. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it is the cutest stinking thing. But the rule is mom or dad has to hold his hands, right? Mm-hmm. Or be there to catch him. Yeah. And yesterday he jumped off my bed, which is not very high off the ground, but into a pile of clothes. And he just looked at me with this fearful, like, mm-hmm. <gasps> and I was like, I, you know, like mom wasn't right here. Yeah. Rules keep us safe. So yeah. Yeah. Old Test- back to Old Testament law. Those are not bad. They're setting God's people apart. They're keeping they're keeping his people safe. And if all we focus on is the rules, like we see the Pharisees doing in the New Testament, we miss the point. Yeah, and missing the point is when the rules become a substitute mm-hmm. for what Christianity is at its core. As Jesus says, for the sake of tradition, the tradition of your rules, your law, you can make void the word of God. We don't want to do that. We don't want to void this word. We're, we're having too much fun reading it, yeah. learning it, living yeah. it. Yeah. This was... Really fun. And time flies when you're having fun. Yes, I, yeah. I, I hope you all feel that way uh, who are listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spreading the word. This podcast is growing. Um, we're getting messages and letters from all, all sorts over. of places, not mm-hmm. just this country anymore. And so thank you for liking it. Thank you for um, you know sharing it. Thank you for letting people know. 
We're just sitting in our humble little basement studio here, a bunch of pastors uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and church leaders mm-hmm. trying to, you know, blind beggars showing other blind beggars where to get some good food. And um, for whatever reason, God's blessing it. That's what happens when we get into God's word. It's mm-hmm. not us. It's not yeah. the way we're doing it. It's the subject that we get to talk about. Yeah. It's it's the content of, of this life-giving word. So thank you. Um, see at worship. You guys have worship this weekend yeah, up in Ankeny, yes. right? Yeah. Are you, who's preaching? Pastor That's Ashley's. Me. Ashley, you're up. Yeah. All right. And we'll be here in West Des Moines and all the other Hope locations too. We'll see you on the podcast next week. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform and we'll see you next time.